0: Well, we are moving to our next topic this evening in our study, our thematic study of the book of Proverbs. And our topic for this evening is entitled, Keeping Silent. Keeping Silent. You could also entitle it, Restraining the Tongue. It's important to understand that God has designed speech to play a central role in his creative and his redemptive activity. It's really fascinating to consider the vital role that speech, that language, that words play in his revelation of himself. So, for example, in the very beginning verses, the very beginning words of the Scripture... In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God brought this universe into existence through fiat, we say. Through divine decrees, verbal decrees. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, we read these words. And God said, let there be. And there was. We read in John chapter 1 verse 1 that when it came to the ultimate revelation of God, the sending of His Son, His Son is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, emphasizing the fact that, that God's revelatory activity, the revelation of Himself to His creatures, his creation, specifically in that salvific, redemptive sense, is all about words. It's all about propositional truths, and that finds its ultimate expression in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the book of Hebrews begins by saying, you know, in in these, in latter or earlier times, God spoke in various ways through Various means, but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. And then we look at a text like 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, where it is revealed to us, it is, it is described to us, that the means of our regeneration. When Peter says, we have been born again, through the living and enduring Word of God. So our very salvation is connected to this concept of speech, of words, of propositional truths. And as God's image bearers, we have been made to use speech as well. And when we think of our everyday living... It is so central to our very existence that we don't even realize it, but words are central to pretty much everything that we do. Words are central, and that's because we have been made in the image of God, and God is a God of words. He's a God of speech, a God of language, and so therefore, language is really the center of our existence. And it's the tool that we use to live and move in this world. According to statistics, the average person speaks between 7,000 and 20,000 words a day. I think a lot of that has to do with which, which sex you are. <laughs> and some of you are saying, well, I have a wife who does way more than 20,000 Words. Words are really important in in her world, and some of you are saying, "Well, I don't even reach the seven thousand mark even on a good day." Nonetheless, we can we can assert this: words have power. Words have power in our lives, and understandably, because of this, because words play such a central role. Speech is a very significant theme in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is this curriculum that is given especially to young men, but to all those who fear the Lord. It's a curriculum given to to know how to live life successfully in the eyes of God in a treacherous world. And so, without question, speech must be addressed because speech is so important to this successful life in a treacherous world And indeed, Proverbs has more to say about words than most other topics. In fact, in the 915 verses, 115 of those deal with speech. So it's obviously a very important topic to wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 18 verse 21 has a summary statement that really serves as the overview for what we are talking about tonight and next week as well. When Solomon says this in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is so important that we can connect the very existence of life and the very termination of life. The tongue is so powerful. Indeed, words are powerful tools, and as we're going to see tonight and next week as well, they are powerful tools both for evil or for good, for destruction or for edification. They're powerful tools, and even more than that, and we'll come back to this at the end of our study tonight, words are also very, very important thermometers of the soul, Our words, our language, our speech, unlike anything else, reveal the state of our hearts, the state of our souls. Jesus points this out very vividly in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37, when he confronts the Pharisees and says this, "'You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good?' For out of the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we are saved According to our words and in, in, in whether we have a, good, a better kind of speech or, or we're condemned solely by our words. What, rather, what he is saying is you are justified or condemned by your words because those words reveal what is in the heart. There is an, an inevitable link. And so the words are the fruit of the state of your heart. And so, this topic is so very important that as we go through this, I want to keep this in remembrance as we go through this study this week and next week, that even though we're going to to be talking a lot about words and what words we need to avoid and what words we need to employ throughout this whole study, we need to remember this, words are but a reflection of the state of the heart. And we're not after mere moral reform here we must always look to see what the words we use say about the state of our souls. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that at various points. But tonight, what I want to do is look at the kind of speech that we must avoid. And as we survey the book of Proverbs, we see, as Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. There are words that lead to death and words that lead to life. Words that destroy in words that build up. And we need to look first at the kind of speech that we must put off, to use the analogy of the Apostle Paul, when he talks about putting off the habits of the old self. And what we're going to do is we're going to take that that concept of putting off and look at that tonight and look at the kind of speech we who fear the Lord, we who have been made new, we're going to look at the kind of speech that we must be ever... Uh, active in putting off, and next week we'll look at the kind of speech that we are to put on in its place. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, I want us to see tonight nine kinds of speech that Proverbs commands us to put off. These are the speech patterns, the kinds of speech that destroy. These are the kinds of speech patterns that lead to death in that figurative sense. Nine kinds of speech. The first one is this. We must put off speech which is false. We start with the most obvious. We must put off speech which is false. And that begs the question, what, is it, what does it mean to be false? Or what does it mean uh, when we say something is a lie? What is a lie? Let's be careful to define it. A lie is this. A lie or a falsehood is a statement that directly contradicts reality as determined by God. That's a lie. A lie is a falsehood. It is a statement that directly contradicts reality as God sees it, as God has determined it. That is our ultimate definition of a lie. It is something contrary to what he has stated things to be. And God does not relate to such statements with ambivalence. Let's look at a few Proverbs which communicate how destructive lying is and, and how God looks upon it. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. Proverbs six sixteen to 19 says this, there are six things which the lord hates yes seven which are an abomination to him now when we see that word abomination remember this that an abomination to define that term refers to something that causes disgust it it elicits a feeling of hatred and now the psalmist or the the writer here solomon is describing what causes disgust, if we could use that language with respect to God. These are the things. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. Solomon makes no qualms about it. The Lord hates lying. It is a particular abomination to him when people state things that are contrary to the way that he has defined it and described it to be. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says the same thing in the same vivid language. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Now the basis for God's hatred of lying, the basis for his hatred of falsehood, is that lying and falsehood, stating things to be other than what they really are, is something that directly contradicts his character. He has made it very clear that he can never lie. He can never lie. It is utterly impossible for God to speak something that is contrary to what it really is. So for example, Numbers 23 verse 19, here you have the false prophet Balaam who is, who is prophesying contrary to what he intends because the Lord is so moving to make him speak the real words that are intended and we read this, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should lie. The same idea is in 1st Samuel 15:21 or 29, and in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 we read this, God cannot lie, stated very absolutely. God can never lie. If he would tell a lie, it would destroy the very existence of deity itself, and therefore it is utterly impossible. So any lie, any lie stands in direct antithesis to everything that God represents. But notice, however, who speaks lies in the ultimate sense. Notice what person is characterized by lying and falsehood. Jesus brings this out in John 8. Your minds have probably already gone there. John 8, verse 34 to 35 Jesus says this, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever or whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Satan is who he is because he is the very antithesis of the truthfulness of God. He speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and is the father of lies. So naturally, all lying is that which is antithetical to God and elicits a feeling of disgust. A righteous hatred for such statements. Solomon goes on to say that lying not only is an abomination before the Lord, but lying always destroys the liar and his victims. Notice just some of the ways that he describes the impact of the liar. Proverbs 14.25 says this, A truthful witness saves lives, but he who utters lies is treacherous. Proverbs 25, verse 18, like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. A club, a sword, a sharp arrow, all of these things are intended to inflict great harm, if not death. Proverbs 26, verses 18 to 19, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor saying, was I not joking? In other words, speaks a lie and then comes around and says, well, I just, I didn't really mean it. I was just joking. Proverbs 26 verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruins. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Now, as Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. Lying in this world is everywhere. Lies, falsehood. We live in a world filled with lies, and you know, you look at, you turn on the media, and that's all you hear. You open social media accounts, and it's just filled with lies, lies everywhere. This leads Spurgeon to say this in contrasting the prevalence of lying with the prevalence of truth. He says this, If you want truth to go around the world, you must hire an express train to pull it. But if you want a lie to go around the world, it will fly. It is as light as a feather, and a breath will carry it. It is well said in the old proverb, A lie will go around the world while truth is still putting on its boots. In this world, this world controlled by the God of this age, lying is, lying is everywhere. It is the modus operandi of how this world works. And therefore, Solomon says, anyone who fears the Lord must himself share an abomination to lying in his own life. So, as we think of that, as we seek... To put off lying, where must we keep watch in particular? And let us not think that lying is so far from us that we need not give it attention. Let me list some areas here where we as men, as those who fear the Lord, must give careful watch to. Number one, official documents. Official documents. Think of things like insurance claims. You uh, had a wreck on the road. What are you going to say to the insurance adjuster? Employment records, where you worked, and those sorts of things. Your your tax returns. As burdensome as the IRS is, you put your signature there. Is it truthful, or have you knowingly stated lies? Think of your own employment, where you work today, your time card. Is it truthful your work reports, the reports that you do detailing how you spent that time. Does it accurately reflect reality as God sees it? What about the practice of calling in sick when you're really going to the beach? That's a lie. And remember what Solomon says about the Lord's perspective on that. Think about your neighbors, how you interact with your neighbors the events that take place in your neighborhood and interactions with them, do you tell the truth? Or do you tell lies? Your family, conversations with your parents, your wife, your children, are they truthful? Or do you state that which is antithetical to reality as God sees it? Or even here among the the people of Jesus Christ, the body, your conversations even... With your pastors, your elders, is it the truth? When they ask you, how are you doing on this particular issue? We've talked about it before. I know you're struggling here. How do you do? How are you doing? How do you respond? Or when just another brother in Christ says, hey, I saw this. Is, is this true? Is, it, you know, what happened with you? Do you tell the truth? Members in your small group here, and they ask you, about how a particular issue is going in your life, do you tell the truth? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, summarizes this all very succinctly when the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Number two, a second kind of speech that must be put off is the speech that is misleading. Now, this is really a subset of the first kind of speech that we looked at. We said that a lie or a falsehood is a statement that directly contradicts reality as God determines it. But misleading speech is a little different. Misleading speech is Speech that distorts this reality. It doesn't state something in direct antithesis. It makes it fuzzy. Misleading statements are more subtle than outright lies. Because it takes the truth and it mixes in with it certain ingredients that are not part of the truth. This is the statement that is only partly true. It's not wholly true. This is the statement that is half true, as sometimes people will call it as if to suggest that being half true is all enough. This is crooked speech. This is perverted speech as we're going to see Solomon describe it. But before we do, I want to read a statement out of Jerry Bridges who says this, He says there are, of course, other forms of lying. We usually think of it as making a false statement, and probably most of us tend to guard against such speech. However, we are apt to lie by exaggeration, by failure to tell the whole truth, or by indulging in what we call a little white lie, a lie that we think is of no consequence. Whatever form it takes A lie expresses an intent to deceive. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we see Solomon putting his finger on this in several places. For example, he says in in Proverbs 4, verse 24, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. That word for deceitful refers to that which is crooked, that which is distorted or twisted. It describes a departure from the standard, a departure from the norm. And since th- 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 this word is, is used to refer to de- defects in other contexts, we can, we can understand it here as referring to defective speech, speech that, that isn't the standard of truthfulness, speech that is bent. It bends the truth. And Solomon says, put it away from you. The same kind of language is used in Proverbs 6 verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. And Solomon there is not just talking to somebody who speaks dirty things. He's talking about one whose speech is not straight. It is crooked. It is deceitful proverbs ten verse thirty two the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted again speaking of a uh, of a distortion of reality in fact it 's important to note that distorted speech is explicitly antithetical to the speech of lady wisdom in proverbs eight you you remember that that you have this lengthy discussion or this lengthy speech made by Lady Wisdom as she describes herself. It's wisdom personified. She's like a seller in the market making her special goods available to those who will come and buy. And notice how she describes her speech. Proverbs 8, verse 8, All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. That's what marks wisdom. There's nothing crooked, nothing perverted, nothing distorted. That is the picture of wisdom. And that is what we are to aim for. But you know, believers will often console themselves with the idea that, well, I don't lie on my tax returns. I, I fill out my time cards correctly. I, I answer questions truthfully when, when some official or 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 uh some boss or or some authority is asking me, I'll answer those questions truthfully, but they often fill their speech with distortions of the truth. These crooked words only go on to harm relationships destroy trustworthiness, and ultimately dishonor the Lord. So where should we keep watch with respect to distorted speech? Here are a few things to keep in mind. Number one, exaggerations. Exaggerations, boy, this one's easy. This one is so easy. And we think so lightly about it. But exaggerated speech is akin to distorted or crooked speech. Distorting things to your wife through exaggeration or to your boss or to your brother in Christ. Understating things when something happens. Let's say it's an accident on the freeway and the police officer comes and says, i got to fill out a police report. How fast were you going? Well, you know, I was going a little over the speed limit. Meanwhile, It was 20 miles over the speed limit. Distorting through understating the facts. Withholding, withholding the facts. You get home and your wife wants to know why you didn't pick up milk and bread at the store. And you withhold certain information that would really be the real reason. And you say something like, well, it was the traffic. Well, in reality, it wasn't the traffic. It was just the traffic and the fact that you just didn't want to go. You just didn't want to go to the store. Withholding details, misconstruing details, arranging them in a different order so that on the one hand, those details are part of the picture, but by way of arrangement, you've distorted the picture of reality or even in obscuring, obfuscating what really happened, or obfuscating what really takes place, what you're really thinking by speaking in a kind of ambiguous language. As John Calvin who said that ambiguity is the domain of the heretic, and certainly ambiguity can be the domain of the liar as well. Augustine said this, bringing it all back to this basic reality that Misleading speech is, is just as much a lie as a, 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 a lie in its stark nature. Augustine said this, a lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intent of deceiving. So if you misconstrue things, the details, what really happened, what you really said, those kinds of things, your intent is to deceive and that is, at its basic definition, a lie. Another writer said this, whatever is, almost only, what is, "...whatever is only almost true is quite false. And among the most dangerous of errors, because being so near to truth, it is more likely to lead astray." And we're so good at this, men, even in close personal relationships... We know how to harness words. And we harness those words in a way that is contrary to the truth. It distorts the truth. We know how to put those words together and come across so plausible. But the pursuit of wisdom says we must put off this kind of speech. Number three, we must put off speech which is harsh. Speech which is harsh. Harsh speech is speech spoken without grace and gentleness, with a deliberate intent to tear down rather than to build up. Harsh speech does not necessarily contain falsehood or deceit. It might actually contain the truth, but what it does contain is malice. It contains malice, this desire to use the truth in a way that stings and hurts with no good purpose involved. Proverbs 12, verse 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Here's harsh speech. And these words of the wicked are those that are lying in wait to draw blood. To use words in this way to, to, to inflict injury. But the mouth of the upright will deliver them. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one who speaks rashly like thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then Proverbs 15, verse 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Harsh speech ultimately erupts from a a proud heart, a heart that says, I am better than you and you are not worthy of my kindness. It's harsh speech that comes from this, this pride where one congratulates himself that he is so courageous to speak the truth and, and applauds himself that he does no physical harm whatsoever. He's just speaking the truth, but sadly, he has harnessed the power of words to inflict a different kind of harm one that demeans the truth and immeasurably harms his victims. This kind of harsh speech pierces, wounds, cuts, crushes, and destroys, and it's not for the purpose of edification. And yes, man, I want to say this, there are times when we have to speak the truth bluntly to, to those who are in sin, who are stubborn, and, and we've got to get their attention, and sometimes it requires that harsh Rebuke. I'm not talking about that, but I think you know the kind of speech I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of harsh speech that comes out so often because we're just plain impatient. We're just plain arrogant. It's the kind of harsh speech that is so prevalent on the internet and in blogs and social media. That kind of harsh speech that comes when we just don't like people. We don't like what they say to us. We don't like what they've done. It ultimately comes from this prideful heart. And there are some men who say, well, I've got the gift of confrontation. I've got this gift to state it like it is. I'm a spiritual man. There was a lady who once said to Spurgeon, I have the talent of confrontation. And Spurgeon replied to her, that is one talent the Lord wants you to bury in the field. And some of you men are like that. You 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 have this so called talent to speak harshly. Follow the words of Spurgeon, bury that one in the field. Spurgeon went on to say this no matter what good truths you have to teach, no one will thank you if you do not speak kindly. We must speak kindly. We're to watch on this as a husband. Your speech as a husband. Think of 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Show her honor. Do you speak harshly to your wife? What about as a father? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That provocation comes through this harsh language. You're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What about as a manager, as a boss, as an authority over workers? Ephesians 6 verse 9 says to the masters, you masters, do the same things to them and, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Give up threatening and You may be a manager today and you need to give up threatening. And even as a suffering Christian, as a Christian who may be encountering some kind of of, of persecution, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 to 23 says this so profoundly as it speaks to us about the need to avoid harsh language in response to Injustice. We are are not to respond to injustice with harsh language. Notice what Peter says. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. One of the most evident reasons why the whole social justice movement is unbiblical is the kind of vitriol that is being expressed by those who purport to be for social justice. It is meeting some kind of perceived injustice maybe there has been some and some kind of personal experience and there may be a cry for justice but there is no basis within scripture to return reviling with reviling Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says this speak the truth or speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ and remember that text again from First Peter, who, though he was reviled, did not revile in return. Speak truth, brothers, but do it always in love. Number four, put off speech which is degrading. Put off speech which is degrading. Here, I want to talk very quickly about three categories of degrading speech. First of all, as you know this, Proverbs deals a lot with the concept of gossip, or rumors, spreading rumors. What is what is gossip? What is, what is the spreading of rumors? Tremper Longman says this: rumors are negative reports about other people that are based on uncertain evidence. They are spread to injure the person, not to help. Gossip may ultimately turn out to be true, but that does not exonerate the person who speaks it to others. If true, then the report is being given to an inappropriate people at an inappropriate time. That's, that's gossip. That's rumors. It's, it. Those things are being given to destroy or to degrade the other person. So remember this the next time you want to talk about someone else. What's your motivation in telling whatever you're going to say to that other person? Are you doing so to build up the honor and integrity of the other person? Or is this something you're saying to to tear them down. Well, what does Solomon say in response to those who seek to tear others down behind their backs? 11 verse 13. Proverbs 11 verse 13. He who goes about as a ta- talebearer bearer reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. What Solomon is saying, there's not concealing some scandal... But he's talking about the difference between a trustworthy friend who will not use something against you, who will not use certain details and facts of your life to go behind your back and seek to destroy your character elsewhere. That's a talebearer. Proverbs 17, verse 9, "...he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends." And listen, you do have to be very, very careful as you you do seek to help brothers who are struggling. And and it's a very important thing that to the right degree, this is not absolute, but to to a, a healthy degree that you can be a trustworthy friend and say, listen... So long as you're going to work with me on this sin, this sin issue in your life, so long as you're going t- to look to me for counsel and, and help and assistance, we're going we're to bear this together. I'm going to walk with you along the way, and I'm not going to go out and spread this behind your back and destroy you in, in the eyes of others. Like I said, that's not absolute, because there is something called Matthew 18 in the process of church discipline. If someone will not repent, you can't keep sin secret. But in those cases with struggling brothers who are struggling with some kind of transgression, you want to be that trustworthy friend who says, I'm going to be there beside you, and you can trust that I'm not going to go and post this somewhere or speak of this in some other context. Proverbs 18, verse 8, The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. The same idea is in Proverbs 26, verse 22. And the idea here is this, That not only is gossip and and rumors wrong from the standpoint of the one who speaks them, and it is so tempting to have that kind of knowledge and share it about somebody else's life. But notice Solomon also recognizes that we love to hear it, we love to hear gossip. One commentator says this let's all admit it, we love gossip. We love negative information about other people. We love controversy. We find it delicious. It is a delicacy to our corrupt hearts. We gulp these words down with relish. A second category of of speech that degrades is slander and insults. This is now a, a different kind of degrading speech. These are direct verbal attacks and the character and honor of another person to his face or even behind his back. Proverbs 10 verse 18 says this, He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 11 verse 9, With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor. And that's speaking there of using his mouth to speak slander, to destroy that neighbor, his reputation in the eyes of the community. Proverbs 16, verses 27 to 28, A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. These are, this is serious, so serious, That the psalmist David says in Psalm 101 verse 5, he says these words, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbors, him I will destroy. Speaking of the Lord, no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will endure. There's a third category of degrading speech. It's scoffing speech. Scoffing speech. It is degrading as well. Just a very brief note about this. There is a frequent title for the fool in the book of Proverbs. And that title is is called the scoffer. And this term refers to one who ridicules, who mocks, who derides someone or something else. This is another kind of degrading speech. And you find it, for example, in Proverbs 9 verses 7 to 8. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. The idea is this. You know these scoffers. You try to speak into their lives and they just turn it around and they turn it back as an insult right on you. That's another kind of degrading speech. And Solomon says in Proverbs 22 verse 10, drive out the scoffer. And if you do, contention will go out, even strife. And dishonor will cease. Number five, here's a fifth category of speech to put off: speech which is flattering. On the one hand, flattery is the the opposite of gossip. It is the opposite of, of gossip. Whereas gossip is degrading speech spoken about another person behind his back, flattery is exaggerated speech spoken about another person only to his face. So, get the distinction here. Gossip is when we seek to destroy someone behind that person's back. Flattery is when we say words of praise that we only say to that person and to no one else. It's because we don't mean it, it's a lie. You see, flattery hinges on people's response to praise. Flattery is a lie told in order to, to gain some kind of personal benefit. I like what Henry Ward Beecher said. He said, Flattery is praise insincerely given for an interested purpose. Now certainly, we must give honor to whom honors due. Paul commands us that. We must give honor to whom honors There is There is nothing wrong with honoring those whom we respect. To say thank you to those who have done good things for us who have sacrificed for us, who've prayed for us, who've walked with us, those who have ministered to us in unique ways. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. But flattery is when we insincerely praise someone for the sake of some kind of personal benefit. Proverbs 26, verses 23 to 26 says this, Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, are burning lips and a wicked heart. In other words, it's a, it's a clay pot, but it's just, it's just uh, overlaid with a layer of silver. It's not real. goes on. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness... Will be revealed before the assembly. Similarly, in a few verses later, Proverbs twenty-six, twenty-eight: A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs twenty-nine, five: A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. There's something at play—a hidden agenda, a selfish, deceitful agenda. And through the use of this insincere talk, the flatterer is trying to get something from it. But true love, men, always rejoices in the truth. Number six, a few more here. We'll move forward quickly. Number six, we have to put off speech which is argumentative. Speech which is argumentative. Benedictus Spinoza one time said this, no believer himself, but he said this, I have once wondered that persons who make a boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues they claim, is the readiest criterion of their faith. What a sad assessment of believers that he observed Though they professed these virtues, in reality what he saw day after day was rather quarreling, strife, and arguments. Notice what how or notice how Solomon describes this Proverbs 18, verses 6 to 7: A fool's lips bring strife, arguments, division, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his Ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. Proverbs 26:21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. He's like that guy who he can enter any conversation and turn it into strife. You know those men. Everything will be going well, and they insert themselves into the conversation, and it immediately goes downhill. Proverbs calls those men fools. Proverbs 27 verse 15, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. I had to throw that one in there. But let's admit this, man, it's not just the contentious wife, the argumentative wife that cannot be restrained. The same truth applies to husbands, contentious husbands who make life miserable for their wives and make their wives want to live on the corners of a roof. Proverbs 17, verse 14, The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Over and over again, Solomon says, Put off this kind of speech. Very quickly, let me just end with three more. Just list them. You can turn to your notes, study those Proverbs later on, but let me just list them now. Number seven, the seventh speech to put off is speech which is impulsive. This is speech which speaks before thinking. This is the kind of speech where you you take your foot out of your mouth and realize you have not thought through what you just said. Proverbs 15 verse 28 speaks of the wicked man pouring forth evil things without pondering how to answer. Over and over again, Solomon states that we must put off this kind of of impetuous, impulsive speech which does not take time to think before answering or claiming. Number eight, put off speech which is boastful. Speech which again arises out of a prideful heart that either is prideful about the future or prideful about the past. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, speaks about both of those cases. Prideful about the future, boasting about tomorrow, and prideful about the past. Having your own lips praise you for something that you've done. We must put those kinds of speech off. And finally, number nine, put off speech which is excessive. This is the kind of speech that is overboard. The kind of speech that comes in the abundance of words. And trouble is directly connected the, the Psalmist, or the, the writer of Proverbs states, "Trouble is directly connected to the problem of an abundance of words. Rarely does trouble come from speaking too little. These are the kinds of speech we must put off. And as we close, I want to come back to what Jesus said in Matthew 12: 34 to 35. You brood of vipers, how can you, speaking or being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out what is evil. The issue is this we can't just change our words. It ultimately brings us back to the very basic principle that our words reflect the state. Of our hearts. And ultimately, it's not just about speech reform, then. It is about having a right heart, a heart that is truly fearing the Lord, a heart that is made new. I like what Robert Layton, the 17th century pastor, stated. He said this The cure of an evil tongue must be done at the heart. The weights and the wheels are there. And the clock strikes according to their motion. A guileful heart makes a guileful tongue and lips. It is the workhouse where is the forge of deceits and slanders. And the tongue is only the outer shop where they are vended and the door of it. Such ware as is made within, such and no other can come out. So as you examine your speech, ask yourself the question, is my speech improving? Do I see that it is improving out of a change that has already taken place in my heart? Or is my testimony of evil speech a testimony of what is real in my heart? And ultimately to change that evil speech requires a change at the heart level. Flee to Christ. Ask Him for that new heart. He can give it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time that we have had together. What wonderful fellowship You have blessed us with here this evening. We thank You for the the grace that comes through interaction with other brothers in Christ as we ask each other questions and pray for each other and speak words of truth to each other and join our voices in song together. But we pray this would not just be a ritual. We pray these words of Scripture would penetrate deeply, particularly as it relates to our speech, knowing that this is the special tool, this instrument that you have given to us, an instrument that we are to use for life. We pray that you'd bring conviction where we have not used this power, this instrument as we ought. In the lives of those who whose words still reflect an evil and unregenerate heart, we pray. You would use this awareness of speech to reveal to them the state of their heart, and by your compassion, Lord, bring them to a saving knowledge of your Son, that they would receive a new heart from which could flow new words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.